oftentimes we struggle with the idea of coming in because we have a will, we have a way, we have a, have a way we want to live life that's not consistent with the way God has proclaimed it to be. Because if man is made in the image of God and God is holy, then God intended for man to reflect his holiness in the earth. But we know as believers that it isn't about our will, but God's will be done. Everything we do is for his approval and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Pastor Martin wraps up his sermon series in Genesis chapter 7, verses 19 through 23. Let's listen as Pastor Martin explains. When there's an impending calamity that has been reported in which certain death will take place, there are, or loss of life, there are warnings or reports that go out that are resounding and emphatic. These warnings are intended to compel those and to warn those that there's danger and it's important for them to get to a place of safety. Oftentimes those messages include or advise to go inside to a safe place and remain there until the threat of harm has passed. The warnings serve as a, serving, a saving grace. These warnings are intended to help save or to preserve life because they are sent forth as a means of warning or forewarning for anyone who will take heed. Noah being forewarned that a great disaster was coming, a great flood was coming, and through the instructions that God gave him, he built an ark. And he built a safe place, essentially building a safe place for all of those who would hear him and come in with him. However, we understand that only his wife his three sons and their wives heeded the warning. Having now established that Noah being forewarned and had responded by faith, built the ark, we now understand that God himself has built the second ark by way of his son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and that he has now declared a warning that yet another calamity is coming. And for all who is willing to enter can be saved. He's proclaimed this first through his apostles, I mean, of, of, through his prophets of old. As we go back and look at scripture, you see that the prophets spoke of a day of the Lord. And then he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus came and he began to proclaim the message as well. A day is coming. Then he also uh, charged his apostles of the day that they would also proclaim that a day is coming. He's also continued to share this message through evangelists who go and speak of 
salvation and grace and proclaim this good news that God has demonstrated his love by sending his son. We also then know that he has continued to proclaim the message through preachers and teachers and pastors and those who are servants who have submitted themselves to his will and are willing to share this good news. And then finally, and last but certainly not least, he has proclaimed and given witness to this great message through his holy word that he is sacredly set apart that it might be a tool, a resource for all who would heed. It's important to understand that no matter what the warning is, it always requires someone to heed the warning and then respond. It requires someone to heed and believe in what's being warned and then react because we learned last week that Faith has corresponding actions that follow. Whatever I believe, my actions will follow that which I believe. Therefore, if I believe that God has declared that there's another day, then corresponding actions that follow. Noah had simply the instruction from God, and he responded by faith. But then he also had to trust God because he had time, an extended period of time in which he is to build this ark, trusting that what God said was trustworthy and unreliable. It's important for us to understand that when God sends Jesus in to tell the world that he is his only begotten son, he began to confirm the message of Christ through the miracles that he did. Because multiple times when we read through the gospel, we find that the men and the audience of the moment that saw him do something supernatural that could not be done by mankind, they simply said, what kind of man is this? Or they would say, who is this? Because we've never seen anyone do what this man has done. It's important to dispel anything, any doubt you have with the fact that history records Jesus. Unlike Greek mythology, history records Jesus. When we were, we were traveling in Europe and we were in Athens, and we were standing in the field and they, there was just remnants of what used to be there. But they explained to us that this was a courtyard for Zeus. And the tour guide who was telling us as, about this, he said, we know it's been proven. But that these things are just myths. But they make for a good story. But I tell you this, that, that yes, there is a story of a man who was born in a manger, born of a virgin. There is a story of a young man who, 
was raised in a village called Nazareth. There is a story of a young man who was brutalized and nailed to a cross. There is a story of a, that young man then being placed in a borrowed tomb. There is a story of that young man rising and coming out of that tomb. There is a story of that young man being ascending into heaven. But I do want to caution you that it is not just a story. It is the fact of life that Jesus Christ actually came and walked this earth, died for the sins of the world, rose and ascended back to heaven. And one day, he's coming back to receive those whom have put their faith in him and judge the earth. That leads me to my first point for the day. Noah's ark was the first ark. Noah's was the first ark. We see as we read earlier that only Noah and those that were in the ark were saved. It's important for us to note here that Noah's ark was a forerunner to Christ that Noah's ark was a forerunner to Christ. The choir did an amazing job speaking of coming in this house, come on in to this place of safety. So when we think about the story of Noah, we can actually see a pattern of God's salvific plan. When we look at Noah, we can see a, a, a salvific plan being revealed of how God would save. The first thing we see in the story of Noah is that the plan is first revealed. Number one, the plan is revealed. And this plan is a plan of judgment, but also a plan of grace. When we look here, and if we go back and look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, we see that's where God says to Noah, hey, I'm going to judge the earth and I'm going to destroy it. So God now reveals his plan of judgment. But then we also see in Noah, in verse number 8 of chapter 6, that it says that Noah found grace. So we see, we see the plan has judgment, but we also see that there is grace available. Because if Noah found it, that means it was available. You can't find something that's not available. So we see judgment, grace. That's the first part of the plan. After the plan has been revealed, the next step, number two, is that the message is proclaimed. So the plan is revealed. Here's what I'm going to do. And then the message is proclaimed because it, we see that there's the message here is a message of repentance and salvation. So the plan, judgment and grace, but the message that couples with that plan is that there will be an opportunity for repentance and salvation. In order to get the repentance, we've got to first, we've got to jump over to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 because that's where Peter declares that Noah preached righteousness. 
Noah preached righteousness. So, so ultimately, we understand he was not just out proclaiming. He wasn't one who was just kind of giving the highlights of the news of the day. He wasn't just talking about the doom and gloom. He was actually speaking about the fact, I'm giving you the condition, but I'm also offering you a prescription. Because in declaring righteousness, Anytime God declares righteousness, the goal is to bring us to the place of repentance. Because here's what it said about Jesus. Jesus came and spoke about God's judgment. And here's the reality. He said, he says, but I, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The reason that God raises up righteousness so that we might see that we're unrighteous and then seek out the purpose and plan that he has that brings us to repentance. And then we see salvation because God says, Noah, make an ark. Even though I'm going to judge, I am given an opportunity for salvation. So number one, the plan is revealed. Number two, the pattern or the message is proclaimed. That brings us to number three, an ark is built. God makes a way in order for salvation to come. Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. Noah proclaim why I'm gonna do it, but then have a means by which they can be saved. But notice that it still requires a decision or a choice to be made. Because when God made man in his image and in his likeness, he gave man a will. That's actually what sets us apart from all of creation. That's actually what places man as a capstone of creation. Because we have the specific distinction that God made us in his likeness and in his image. Meaning that we have a, the ability to reason, the ability to choose. One of the things that separates us from the wild, uh, we love, I, I used to love watching uh, Animal Kingdom at, or the Discovery Channel where you see that I love watching the animals out there. Don't want to be out there with them, just want to see them. <laughs> But I love watching this. And then at times you will see, you know, a lion chasing down a gazelle. And I would say, oh, no, leave him alone. Leave him alone. But I realize he is simply living through his instincts. He doesn't make choices. He doesn't reason. He just knows I'm hungry. Here's food. But God made man to be able to reason to understand, to choose, and to have a will. So thus, God builds the ark. He reveals the plan. He proclaims his message. And then he provides salvation. But we must choose to come in. The, la the fourth part of the plan is the willing enter. Because we see in Genesis 
chapter 7 and verse 1, it says that then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. Choice. Come into the ark. You and all of your household. Because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So God says the ark is completed or the way for salvation has been made. But you have to choose to come in. Oftentimes we struggle with the idea of coming in because we have a will, we have a way, we have a, have a way we want to live life. That's not consistent with the way God has proclaimed it to be. Because if man is made in the image of God and God is holy, then God intended for man to reflect his holiness in the earth. It doesn't stop at the fact that we have reason and will because God is holy. And if God is holy, then he intended for man to then exhibit his holiness in the earth. So what hold us back is coming in, we recognize that something's got to change. Because if I go in, I got to be like I'm in. Either I'm in or either I'm out. But it's my choice. So the fourth part of the plan is that the willing come in. The fifth and final part of the plan is that those who enter are saved. See, God says, come into the ark, but those who willingly come in are saved because as we read earlier in verse 23, that only Noah and those who went in with him were saved. Now you understand why we are compelling men to come into this house because it's going to rain. But God has made a way of escape that we might be saved. So that moves us or leads us to point number two. Because something is declared about Noah that we can claim today through Christ Jesus. Point number two is that there is an heirship of righteousness that is provided by faith. See, notice that the condition of the world in Noah's day is that it was wicked and that all flesh had corrupted its way but we understand that by faith in what God said, Noah became an heir of righteousness. We find that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number seven, for it says that by faith being divinely warned of things not yet seen, Noah moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. That actually speaks of the gospel message. 
because the gospel message is a message of imputed righteousness. See, in and of myself, I don't get it right. In and of myself, before Jesus, I didn't want it right. I wanted it my way. However, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, what happens is that God then, through justification, which is God's grace or his judicial act of granting the sinner full pardon and calling him righteous or giving him what's called imputed righteousness. That when God now, when those who come into Christ through salvation, they've been justified, they've been imputed with righteousness, and now when God sees them, he sees the righteousness of Christ because the righteousness of Christ has been applied to them. That is good news. Because we all know if we look back just a few years ago, we can see, and some of us can look back to yesterweek, we can see some things that didn't look like God. But thanks be to God that his mercy endures forever. So imputed righteousness is God then judiciously making us just or justifying us and then imputing righteousness through that justification. So it says that Noah, because of his faith, became an heir of righteousness. God, because he had faith, the same way which, in which we can become heirs of righteousness is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By imputation, we become righteous by the act of God whereby he accounts righteousness to us, believers, that his son, Jesus Christ, exhibited, who was tempted on every side, and was yet without sin. But here's the key. The only way humanity can become recipients of God's righteousness and his holiness is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and putting their confidence in him. Noah became by faith the same process that God used before. He uses faith now to impute righteousness to us. That leads us to my third and last point for the day. Jesus Christ is the second ark. The second ark. There's something that you'll notice, and we want to highlight this today, that you'll oftentimes hear scripture referring to born-again believers as being in Christ. In Christ. Some of the texts that we're all familiar with would be Galatians chapter number 3, verse 26 and 27. says, for, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Another one that we're familiar with is Romans chapter 8, verse 1 where it says, therefore, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And then there's another one that we're, we're familiar with. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, where it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So we understand that, that there's a being in Christ. The, the second ark, the coming into him, says that when we were baptized, when we gave our hearts to him, and we were born again and baptized of the Spirit, we were baptized into Christ. We come into Jesus while he's also coming into us. Wait a minute, Pastor. How is it that I can, how I can be coming in? He's coming. We coming in. I'm coming into him. He's coming into me. Because he brings you into the ark of safety, but it then gives you the means through his Holy Spirit to then be saved because ultimately we are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. Okay. I'm saved because I put my faith in Christ Jesus. I'm being saved as he's keeping me and, and, and grooming me by the Holy Spirit, but I will be saved when I'm glorified in heaven. Okay, let me explain it this way. If you can't swim and you're out recreationally out on the lake and you begin to find yourself in a desperate place where you realize I'm sinking and you cry out for help and someone comes to your rescue. When they get to you, you say, I am saved. Here's the thing. But they still have to get you to the shore. While they're taking you from your position to the shore, you are being saved. But once you find yourself standing on solid ground, you have been saved. So when I put my faith in Christ Jesus, I am saved. While I'm walking with him day by day, I am being saved. And then one day he's going to come back to receive me and take me to heaven, and I will be saved. So I come into him, and then he comes into me. I come into him, I'm saved. He comes into me, and I'm being saved. When he comes to return, I will be saved. So we, we, we established with Noah a salvific plan that I want to now apply to Christ. So first, you know the plan, the first part of the plan is that God's plan is revealed or the pattern we see is, is God's plan is revealed. Here's the plan revealed. Romans chapter 16 Verses 25 and 26. Romans chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. Here's what it says. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ, Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, there it is, of the mystery kept secret since the world began. He said God's plan of salvation has existed since the world began. So, so we don't find it confusing or, or, or difficult to understand that he could actually perform his salvific plan in Noah's day, and he's still working the same plan in our day. But now made manifest 
and by, by the, the prophet, prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith. So God reveals his plan. The plan that has been in place since the world began, he now reveals it through Christ Jesus. So the plan is revealed. And then the, the next part of the, 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 the process is that the message is proclaimed. So in Romans, that we see that, that the message is being proclaimed now, revealed in Romans chapter uh, 16, verse 25 and 26. But here's the thing. We also recognize that there is grace being provided because 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9 says this, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He says, listen, God had already purposed and planned. Yes, another day is coming, but I have a means or way. I have this message that I'm revealing that my plan is here. The plan of salvation through faith, by grace through faith. So the next part now is then of the pattern we've seen or established is that number two, the message is proclaimed, the message of repentance. Mark chapter one, verse four, here's what it says. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Understand this, that there's always repentance before salvation. One of the things that we've done a disservice to the gospel message is we've dropped off to make it more appealing. We've dropped the reality that a person must first acknowledge that they're a sinner and repent of their sin and believe. Because repentance always precedes salvation. John preached repentance. Jesus salvation then we understand the salvation that God has brought to man after repentance Mark chapter 1 verse 14 and 15 here's what it says now after Jesus was put in prison I'm sorry after John was put in prison Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel notice I said repentance comes first and then salvation. John said, I must decrease that he might increase. Here it says, when once John was put in prison, he was no longer preaching and baptizing. Then Jesus came preaching salvation. God's plan of salvation or his salvific plan is that we come to the place where we realize that we need saving. See, repentance is not intended to condemn. It's intended to bring you to the point where you realize I need a savior because I cannot save myself. When I try to do right, when I try to do right, evil is present. 
Anybody can testify, as Paul said in, 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 in Romans chapter 7, he said, when I would do good, he was present. Let me clear this up for you real quick. So many times we look at that and say, boy, every time I try to do, do good, the devil is busy. The devil's there. If you read the text and stay in context, you understand that he's not talking about when I would do good, evil is present. He's not, the evil is talking about is not the devil. He's talking about the evil that's present is me. When I go to do good, I take me with me. And that's why I always mess it up, which is why I need Jesus and his spirit in me to help me to live above that and to do what I couldn't do otherwise. So the third part of the, the pattern is that the ark is built. I want you to see this because here's how God built his ark through Jesus. First, we have Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That while we were still sinners, before, before we figured it out and got it right, God sent his son and his son Jesus died because God was demonstrating his love. The next thing in the building of the ark we see in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, he says, for Christ also suffered. This is it's important because if we lose the fact that Jesus was suffering for the world, we find that he was just a man brutalized. But when we understand the purpose of his dying, then we understand the message. Here he says, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sin, that just the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He said, said when Jesus died, he died one time for sin, that he might bring us to God, that he might remove the gap or the gaping hole between us and God that was created by sin. The last two things, even though the, that God has built the ark in his son, the fourth part of the process is that the willing must come in. John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, it says this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have, ever, have eternal life. I want you to see this real quick. This is a reference to something that happened with the children of Israel. They were coming out. It's you can record it in, in, in Numbers chapter 21. Uh, verses 8 and 9. What happened is as the people rebelled against God, God sent serpents, fiery serpents into the camp and they were biting the people and they were dying. So here's what God said. God said, listen, Moses, I want you to, to make a bronze serpent and I want you to take that bronze serpent and I want you to lift it up. And he says, and whosoever has been bitten, when they come, if they are willing to look up at the serpent, they will live. If they're willing to look up at the serpent, 
they should live. This is why Jesus said, I, even I, if I am lifted up. See, they didn't realize when they were nailing him to the cross, they had him down. They were nailing him down on the ground, but the problem was the process is not completed until they lift him up. When they lifted him up, it was just as Moses lifted up the serpent that if anyone is willing to look up and live and say, I am one who believes. I can be saved and be brought into Christ into the second ark. The last part of the plan or the pattern that we see of God's salvation is that those who enter are saved. John chapter 3 verse 16 to 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever or whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.